0: On this episode of Week, we talk about mergers and acquisitions in the AV industry, whether or not they will speed up or slow down throughout the year, and what that means for the industry. IBM's Watson is getting more and more involved in the world of AV, and the Infocom show registration is open. What to expect this year in Orlando. All that and more, next on AVV,
1: The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This, this is AV. This, this, this is, is AV, AV Nation. Nation. This is AV Nation.
0: AV Week is brought to you by our fine group of underwriters, companies like FSR, and by Vario. This is AV Week. Episode 287, recorded Friday, February 24th, 2017. Refreshing AV. Ready. AV, AV Week. Performing scan. Online. This is A V Week. A V Week. This is A V Week, your weekly wrap-up of audiovisual, news and information. My name is Tim Albright. I am your host with us to talk about that very thing: the news and information of the audiovisual industry. First and foremost buddy and pal and the guy that tells me what to do a lot of times when it comes to business. His name is Brock McGinnis. He is from Westbury National. Welcome, sir.
2: Good afternoon, Tim. Nice to be here.
0: Absolutely. Um, Brock is also a a, a newly inducted member into the Hall of Fame uh, from SCN. So congratulations, sir. I don't think I've had you on since then.
2: I'll put a frame around you just, uh, you know,
0: <laughs> never mind. <laughs> He's obviously not physically in a hall, but I'm sure they have a bust okay. of him somewhere. Uh, oh. <laughs> also, with us is uh, Phil Cordell, my buddy from Nashville, Tennessee. How are you, sir?
1: Hey, Tim. Great to be here, man. Doing well. Thank you.
0: All right. And last but not least, uh, the host with the most. At least he will be the host for us other three gentlemen. Uh, his name is Brad Grimes. He is from Infocom, and he will be hosting us for the Infocom show here coming up in June. How are you, sir?
3: Thanks. It's BYOB, by the way. So.
0: It's B- I have coffee, BYOC. Okay. No, we're,
3: we're looking forward to having everybody, uh, you know, water, Water. Yeah. <laughs> water.
0: <laughs> Actually, it's hang on real, real quickly. It's not BYOB, and you know why? <laughs> no, I know. Because <laughs> y'all got a beer garden this year.
3: We do, and it's an indoor one
0: in and Orlando, that, think about that Is that for a why second. we
3: need to uh register
2: early so that we can get tickets to the beer garden <laughs> get in line get in line now all right now.
0: all right let's uh let's kick this off and, and and we were giving brett a hard time beforehand registration is actually already open for infocom not for nothing it opened up during isc uh, so you know not too not too shabby go from one uh, one uh, show to another so all right let's talk about some stuff here real quickly um this stunt comes to us uh, from our buddies over at AV Network. Um, IBM and Rico are watching the very first ever Watson powered interactive whiteboards. This comes on the heels of a couple other interesting whiteboards, no, most notably Cisco's. Um, I, yes, it's it's cool and it's it's interesting the fact that that it's a it's a whiteboard. I'm not really excited about whiteboards in general. I'll just be really honest, guys. Um, I still haven't seen the, the the surface hub take off like it probably should have by now um, but what I really want to focus on here is the Watson integration if you're not familiar with what Watson is Watson is the fancy schmancy computer that IBM built however many years ago now um, it's been on jeopardy it's beaten uh, world-class chess champions and now two different AV Companies, manufacturers, are using it for for control and for for back for for interaction. One is Rico. The other one we talked to uh, at at ISE, and that's that's Harmon. Uh, the Harmon integration, uh, they're using it uh, for their version that their their flavor of voice control. Brock, I'm going to start with you. The, the fact that what does this say about our industry, and maybe more so about Watson, the fact that two different companies now are going to Watson and going to IBM as opposed to going to the more consumer-driven voice control.
2: Uh, I'm the wrong person to ask here, Tim. Uh, my initial reaction uh, to both Watson. Uh, announcements were that they were marketing-driven, uh, rather than need-driven. Okay. Um, I certainly don't have customers lining up at, at my door asking for voice control in the boardroom because there might be two, 300 different people coming through the boardroom uh, in the course of a given week. And the uh, the Watson-driven whiteboard, uh, my reaction was just because you can do something, does it mean you should?
0: No, and I, and I would agree with that that's the that's the thing is and whiteboard as a as a segment has not been exciting in a couple of years and that's me giving them a couple of years so uh all right phil uh your your two cents on on voice control or or you know the Watson thing
1: yeah, you know, I tend to agree with Brock that that I'm not uh I haven't had a lot of re- requests specifically for voice control, but I will say. Uh, with the number of times that I or, or other participants in meetings maybe check our phone to just do a quick Google search or something, you know, it might be nice to be able to bring that up, uh, you know, just right in the, in the throes of the meeting and just say, hey, uh, you know, Watson, what's, what's the deal here or what's the distance between these two cities if we're looking to, to line a job up or something like that? Uh, you know, there are some, some corners that, that could very impressive, you know, as you mentioned with the chess thing and with the Jeopardy. I mean, that's the kind of person I'd want to hang out with. I think it, it beat Kobayashi in a hot dog eating contest. Very impressive.
0: <laughs> let, let, he, they didn't do, it didn't do that yet. Um, oh, oh, okay. Yeah.
1: That was a dream I had. Okay. That was a dream. Yeah.
0: It's the only dream I want to hear from you. All right, <laughs> Mr. Grimes, uh, from your standpoint, what are you thinking?
1: Uh, well, for
3: me, it's less about Watson and it's less about whiteboards, per se, and more that – It's about this big data and artificial intelligence and analytics thing. Yeah, we're not seeing a lot of demand for this type of integration yet, but um, what things like Alexa or Watson or any of these cloud-based big data analytics applications have proven is that um, it is a viable way of making technology solutions more intelligent. So whether it's voice control or whether it's going into a uh, collaboration space and being recognized, the space setting itself up, that's going to be done really effectively in a data center far away from where the installation is. Um, I, I don't know how Alexa does it. I've got her in my kitchen. She knows stuff and has learned stuff over time. That, that intelligence couldn't have happened locally. It had to happen back somewhere where there's some serious processing going on. And uh, yeah, short-term, I don't see a ton of uh, people calling up uh, guys like Brock and Phil asking for this stuff. But over time, I think it, it, there's a lot of potential here.
0: And I, I wrote a blog piece about six months ago, right after right after Amazon was at C, the CD show. And I said something similar, Brad. I, I gave it a year, uh, a year for folks like Control 4 and Crestron and others to have this integrated into the home and for that to translate into folks asking Brock for that very thing. Um, you know, hey, I can, it goes back to the, hey, I can do this at my house. Why can't I do it in the boardroom? It may not be as much as wireless video. It may not be as much um, as when, when they started pushing for, for HD content in the boardroom and things of that nature. But I still see a use case for it, and I still see a, a demand being driven again back from the home into into the boardroom. Yeah, I sure hope not. <laughs> well, I, well I, seriously, I, I, Brock. I mean, so so take go back ten years. Yes. Ten years ago, you were still running four three video over VGA, two thousand seven. So yeah, but you were starting to, to translate five into wire. That. Yeah, five wire. Five wire. And. Things like the, the uh, Apple TV came along, and suddenly you could seamlessly do HD video from a tablet uh, and eventually from the Mac to somebody's TV, and that translated into somebody saying, Hey, I can do this in my house. Why, can't, why is it so hard to do it in the boardroom? Or, why can, or just saying, I can do this in my house. I want to do this in the boardroom. Is that, is that not how that happened, Brock, or is it some, some other way?
2: I would agree with that, Tim. There is uh, consumer practice is in fact driving changes in the AV industry. People want things real simple. Uh, They want to use familiar interfaces. They want to use familiar devices. I get that. Voice is a whole different thing. And I'm not entirely convinced that voice even has a place in the home. now. I haven't had a chance to play with Alexa, Brad, because Alexa doesn't uh, speak Canadian, (laughs) (laughs) unfortunately. Unfortunately. Uh, But, you know, the most brilliant thing that I've seen on that topic is what Brad Coxon wrote. Uh, Mark Coxon, rather, wrote uh, A.V. Fenham (laughs) when he had people talking to their remotes. Um, That uh, how tough is, is it to get Alexa or, or to make the things happen that you're having Alexa do for you, do you really need voice control?
0: Well, it's it's funny you bring up talking to your remote uh, because some message board I'm on somewhere, um, I want to say it was Com- there a Comcast remote now that you can talk into your remote and have it do things. Sure. Uh, and and this particular post was asking how how you integrate that into or how turn
2: on the TV turn on the TV, the TV, turn it on. Oh, wait, hang on.
1: I'll I'll vouch vouch for the the Xfinity X1, for instance, and I am a huge, I've been a huge uh, not fan of Comcast for a very long time, frankly, Uh, you know, and and was always as soon as I get the opportunity to jump ship to Google Fiber or something like that, then I'll take that. And the Xfinity uh, X1 platform actually has been pretty sweet because as opposed to, you know, going into my menu, going into on demand, looking for Westworld, I just say Westworld and it, and it pops up with all the options. So it is kind of cool. Well, yeah.
3: and, the, and the big data, the, the connection with Watson and the big data is yes, it doesn't always work well, first of all, you know, my question was always, is it going to recognize my voice? Am I going to have to say, turn it on, turn it on, turn it on, turn it on 10 times before it turns it on? What happens and what my experience has been is somewhere again, back in a huge data center where a really smart computer is working and it's listened to me over and over and over again giving it commands, it learns it. And I don't have to say turn it on five times. Mm -hmm. Eventually, turn it on becomes turn it on and this stuff becomes better. I don't know that it's going to be perfect. And I don't know that voice control is the only application. But three to five years ago, I couldn't have figured out how big data had anything to do with a lot of what we consider AV. And now I can start to see it. I mean, there's some processing and intelligence that can go on in these cloud-based uh, data centers that you know really smart and, and uh, creative AV people are going to plug into and come up with applications that maybe short-term aren't going to make a ton of sense, but you know, medium longer-term will.
2: And it all started with Siri.
0: Absolutely. All, all right.
2: of this. All of this started with Siri. Just like the Apple TV brought wireless. Uh, you know, wireless presentation to the mainstream. So in the five years or six years or however long uh Siri has been out of the closet has the world truly changed? Has you know, does everybody who has an iPhone use Siri?
0: No. I mean I to be honest with me, mean, I I I I don't have the data in front of me, but I would I would actually say no, not hundred. They, they don't have a hundred percent adoption, um, but they do some really co- it does some really cool things. And, and I might get in trouble for saying this, but I honestly think it's a generational thing. I think it may very well be be the older you skew, the less likely you are to use this. Um, I'm using my dad as example. My dad has had an iPhone actually longer than I have, um, but he it I'm not going to say it scares him. But you know he's a sixty-some odd year old man. But but it's not he's not comfortable talking to a computer, talking to his his devices. Whereas I grew up watching freaking Star Trek, where the entire thing was a computer. Right? You 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 talked with a computer, and 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 I've been looking for that ever since I was ten or so. Um, You know, just this uh, this morning I was reading on on Gizmodo. Uh, If you talk to Siri and you say, you know. hey computer there's a little easter egg now uh it's a tie-in to the batman lego movie and if you say hey computer instead of hey siri it will respond to you like you're lego batman it's stupid it's (laughs) kitschy but oh my god as a i'm a five-year-old kid all of a sudden because it's talking to me like it's the batman computer so all right let's move on (laughs) right (laughs) before i bring out siri and, and and show you guys all right um Everybody's over at Draper. Um, full disclosure, Draper is actually one of our fine underwriters. Uh, but I, I thought it was a cool um, article nonetheless. It was about future-proofing or future-ready. And I want to read a line from this. Uh, future-proof is a term marketers love to use. Although we see it used in the AV market, it's a term that crops up in almost every market and product category. When used to describe a product, the manufacturer is saying... That the product is unlikely to become obsolete. Within the context of constantly evolving industries such as AV, that sounds like a bit of a stretch. I happen to agree with them. It is a bit of a stretch. Um, not for nothing, and and, and and like a lot of articles that I'll, I'll give my, my fine guests, this will you know, tick off a, a, a subject in my head. Um, Phil, I'm going to start with you on this. Regardless of the marketing speak, regardless of anything else, your customers are coming to you saying this this system has to have a half life of X. This has to last me so many years. It has to be future proof for so many years. In education, back when I was a tech manager, because I worked for a small community college and we didn't have a whole lot of money, our half life was nine years. Right? We expected an investment to last us between eight and nine years. I would argue that at this point in the game, that's a little unreasonable because of the speed of technology. When you're working with your clients and they say, Phil, I got to have this for, this is going to be, this is going to last me X years. How do you future proof or how do you make sure that that system is going to be viable and, and technologically at least on par for however many years?
1: Well, you know, again, you really can't guarantee anything. And I, and I think that's the, the point. And I, and I really, Appreciated the crux of the article as well because, yeah, that term is just a little loaded, you know, and it's a little uh, conflated to think that, oh, yeah, we're going to have, you know, we know what the future will bring exactly, uh, you know, and even things that we were afraid the future would bring, such as the analog sunset, which is a real thing, but which still has not completely set yet our industry, uh, you know, I mean, even the things that we're afraid of in the future still haven't quite come true. And, and so, uh, you know, I, I, steer every customer towards the, you know, the best that our industry can provide right now, the best that the industry, you know, that any industry can provide right now. Uh, and I would say I, I'm thankful for the fact that we all have these, you know, tiny supercomputers in our pockets because it's easy to say, look, you know, how often do you swap phones out? You know, that's how quickly technology is evolving, you know, and so to think that in the boardroom, you know, you'll be using the same composite video cable to plug in your, your whatever, you know, is, is, has not been realistic. Uh, so, But, with that said, I, I think we've got some great solutions to offer. Uh, you know, obviously, wireless, uh, you know, and which I'm not even a huge fan of, but that is extremely being adopted. Uh, you know, there's a lot of obvious things that we can point to and say, see, this is, this is kind of what the future looks like, and this is the direction that we'll build your system in. Uh, but, yeah, I really did appreciate that, that idea of it's future ready. You know, whatever the future brings, you may need an adapt for it, uh, but I'm, I'm pretty sure we can ingest those signals and so i think that's a that's a valid way to position that and, and five years is that you know i don't know I, I feel like we we typically suggest eol you know swap outs at, at every five years or so
0: okay yeah. uh mr grimes you've been around the industry um a long time both from a, a a a industry association standpoint and before that you were you covered it um the the term future proof um. how do you let me just ask a point blank how do you feel about the term future proof
3: well i i mean i don't take it really literally i know you could take it literally and then and then sit and laugh at it for the rest of the afternoon but you know the I childproofed my house when my kids were born, or my kitchen doesn't mean I left them in the middle of the kitchen floor and walked off because I suddenly childproofed the things. I mean, it's not—it's not a literal construct necessarily, but the spirit is—is is where I think the AV industry will go, and it's where that you know I covered the IT industry before I covered AV, and they went through the same thing, and um, what it meant for for information technology was a lot of software. It became a very software-driven industry. And that's something that could possibly happen in AV. I mean, we do hear people talking about it. We do see um, AV software divorced from the hardware. I mean, we're, we've been a, an industry of of little boxes that did discrete, interesting, important things for an AV solution. Um, but future proofing, uh, you know, boxes, you know, is is more difficult. You got to swap those out from time to time. But if you if you divorce the software from the box and you can run it on, you know. Any kind of Dell server or anything like that, then it's a lot easier to upgrade when new capabilities come out. I think we agree that this this industry is moving a lot faster than it did ten years ago. You know, great new capabilities coming out all the time, so there need to be new ways of doing what we're talking about here, which is uh, increasing the longevity of of solutions, or at least making it easy for enterprises to adjust to the latest capabilities without you know forklift upgrades all the time.
0: All right, Brock, he, he uh, Brad brought up a very interesting point. Um and the fact that, that a lot of the hardware capabilities over the last 10-15 years are moving to a more software-driven model. Is that I mean, is that going to help us at least future-proof, not not not, you know, uh, not future-proof, but future-ready our systems?
2: Uh, we're not future proofing beyond the end of the warranty period, uh, Tim.
0: It's, okay. You know, uh,
2: like Phil said, it's how often do you replace your phone? How often do you replace your laptop? Why? Why do you replace those devices? You replace them because the software that runs on them, that has all the coolest new features, no longer runs very well. Uh, you know, an, an iPhone 4 is still a very valid device works just great until you try and put ios 10 on it and then it doesn't work at all Um, and and so it is software that is driving hardware changes one of the things that we know for sure is that we are going to uh, that technology is going to change and that the pace of change is going to continuously become more rapid so In the AV business, we got two parts. We have edge devices and we have the infrastructure that goes in between them. What is happening with this uh, software driven uh, change uh, world that we're living in is that we have become much more aware of being standards based in our approaches to both the edge devices and the infrastructure. We are moving away from proprietary and towards standard based. Uh, if if you would have told me three years ago that Crestron DM was going to be HD base T compliant, uh, I would have laughed and then I would have used a profane term of some <laughs> sort or another um, and, uh, and then put money on the table. Crestron had to make that change because the entire rest of the industry and it's not standards-based like the IT world uh, standard, but we're moving to AV over IP. We are moving to uh, to have infrastructure that is going to carry a 4k signal or an 8k signal or you know or 18 gigabits per second or 150 gigabits per second because uh, we know that it's going to change. And I have this conversation every day with clients who six and seven years ago bought five wire systems from us. And then we ran some other short-term thing to hold them over and then we added a click share or other wireless device to kind of hold them over. And they're wondering why we're having to forklift, you know, a million dollars worth of of audiovisual equipment and infrastructure. Well, in that same time period, they've gone through two laptop refreshes and they may be on their third phone refresh. And we are now talking about uh, looking at financing or capitalizing audiovisual in the same manner that they do those other devices that they know that they're going to change every three, four or five years. They used to buy AV and lease laptops. Why don't they lease AV? And then when the payments are up in three or four or five or six years, uh, they will automatically change that out for something that is current technology. And...
0: No, no, go ahead. Mm, that's it. The, here's the thing that that it it's 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 brilliant. Um, to thank you, don't tell anybody. <laughs> I won't.
2: Don't, don't don't tell any of my competitors. I, I won't.
0: None of them listen to this podcast. Um, okay. How do you do that? How do you? How do you? change their thinking? How do you change? And again, I'm going back to my my years as as a tech manager. I could have never had that conversation with the CTO of the college I worked for. They would have looked at me like I had three heads.
2: We are doing that right now, two installations, more than $3 million uh, in size from five years ago, exactly five years ago. We are doing complete, and and they're phrasing it as optimizations, system optimizations. They don't, the, the their students don't have the same uh, the same laptops. Their students don't have the same phones. We're carrying different signals, and they're not, and and they're barely getting by with this the signal types that we have now. And they they don't have wireless
0: uh,
2: capabilities. They don't because Phil, we do like wireless. <laughs>
0: There are some wireless, you know. Um, there's a lot of good wireless. There's a lot of good wireless. There's some really cruddy wireless, but um, I still remember my first one. It was 1000 bucks, and it did VGA, um, and it only went like 50 feet. It was ridiculous. Um, all right, let's 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 move on here. Um, one last story here. Actually, two last stories, but we'll, we'll save the other one for last. Um, Commercial Integrator has an interesting merger and acquisition forecast, and the, and the headline kind of says it all, and this is exactly the question I'm going to ask you guys. Why industry consolidation won't slow down in 2017, Mr. Grimes. I'm going to start with you on this one. Um, not for nothing, but again, you used to cover the industry as well as being a part of association. Uh, first question is: Is do you think they're right? Do you think that that M and A uh, isn't going to slow down uh, in 2017 as far as the the AV industry?
3: Um, I, I don't know if it'll slow down or speed up. I. I think it'll continue to be a healthy part of the industry like it's a healthy part of every other industry like like burger king buying up popeyes i mean their mergers and acquisitions happen um in business and uh, you know the fact that sometimes there are private equity firms that look into the av uh industry and and see healthy companies with a lot of upside and they decide to buy them up um you know that's that's a good sign that's a, a sign of a healthy i mean you know obviously there are a lot of small companies in our industry and there are a lot of big companies that that are looking to grow in different ways um so i i don't know if what if what the pace will be but i fully expect a, uh, mergers and acquisitions to be a to a, be an important part of the industry going forward
0: is is the it, you you kind of alluded to this so i'm just so it may be a redundant question but is that a good thing the continuation of, of these mergers and acquisitions. Is that a good thing for the industry? Does it sign? Because it sounds to me like it sounds like a, a, a indication of a growing and healthy industry.
3: Um, it's well, we know that it's a growing and healthy industry. I mean, we've got the research that says this industry continues to grow faster than other segments of the, the larger economy. It just does. I mean, I think we experience it every day, but there that doesn't mean that it doesn't have the same. Uh, economic ebbs and flows of any that than an industry has. I mean, for people, when there's a merger that unfortunately get downsized, there are things that are bad about mergers and acquisitions. But um, big picture, the industry continues to grow, and that's a good thing. And I don't think it's um, a coincidence that again, people whose job it is to make money into more money look at AV companies and see uh, opportunities to do that.
0: All right. Mr. McGinnis, uh, your standpoint, um, you know, not for nothing, but but, you know, North America in general um, is is a big part of the the AV industry. And do you see mergers and acquisitions kind of staying on the same pace or or, you know, maybe even speeding up a little bit this year?
2: Uh, There are a number of drivers, Tim. Uh, to the, to the m and and actually the author of the article in Commercial Integrator is an investment banker and I thought did an outstanding job of informing the rest of us about some of the technical details of it. But in the end, I, I think it comes down to really just a few points. One is that we have a lot of owner operator businesses and those owners are reaching retirement age and they are looking for exit strategies and uh, the exit strategies are going to come through a merger or an acquisition by another firm, much more often than they are uh, from employees or from uh, a random buyer down the street. The second is that um, we're we have a business environment where there are a lot of uh, a lot of mergers and acquisitions in. Uh, in the larger world, Kraft trying to buy Unilever for $134 billion. Our clients are becoming larger and larger and larger. And so in order to service larger and larger companies, we need to be larger and larger enterprises. Um, and, and I look at what uh, Diversified has done, I look at what AVI-SPL has done, and, and I say, wow, these people are positioning themselves to, uh, to be able to, pr- to provide you know, global level service to global level companies that have 20 or 30 or 40,000 employees. Because uh, if we don't do it in our industry, some other industry is gonna take over that service. And, and I, I, I think Brad, this is something that Infocom has spoken about is that we need to become that you know, a- enormous the third reason though is the one, that I, the, the one that I think is driving more of this than anything else. We as an industry don't generate enough capital to be good um, prospects for a bank to lend money to. I don't think that those companies that I mentioned could go to a bank and ask them for enough money to grow uh, in working capital uh, and credit facilities to grow at the pace that they want to grow. They need outside investment in order to be able to do that. Uh, the, The second page of the article lists the venture capitalists or vulture capitalists or private equity people that have in fact taken over our industry. Uh, Varex is owned by uh, Three Crowns, I think it is. Um, AVI SPL, the largest company in our industry, is owned by a pri- private banking company. They're going to pump them up and sell them off, or they're going to uh, you know, uh, drain every last penny. But what I do know is that anybody that gets involved with private equity has a piper to pay, and they have that piper to pay every Friday. That's not necessarily. It's like vig to the loan shark on the corner. That's not necessarily a really good thing for the industry, because it puts pressure on uh, cash flow stuff. It's it's all about cash flow rather than quality this or profitable that. Um, so. I don't know. I don't know if it's a good thing. Uh, I, you know, we, we went through in the 80s a whole lot of mergers and acquisitions in the, you know, the greater business community. Half of those companies thrived to swallow others and the other half completely went away because their R&D money was taken away. Uh, their pension funds were stripped. It's it's a real, uh, uh, it's a two-edged sword, Tim. Yeah. I'm sure Phil has something to say.
0: Well, on, on that note, uh, from, from your from your perspective, what do you say and, and not just and, and Brock mentioned a, a number of, of integration firms. Uh, there's also from the other side the manufacturing side. Um, the one that caught a lot of people by, by surprise and, and it, it did me too was was the, the Samsung uh, and Harmon deal. Uh, now in retrospect and looking at, at the, the details makes complete sense from a, from a Samsung uh, point of view. But you've got the integration side that's becoming, like Brock said, you know, um, captured by a lot of, of venture capitalists, uh, but also from the manufacturing side, um, you've got larger firms
1: getting larger.: uh, Well, firstly, I would say Brock stop reading my diary man. Um, we you know M3, the, the company that, I, that I'm partial owner in, we actually just completed uh, our first acquisition at the beginning of this year. and, uh, and it was for many of the reasons that, that Brock listed, you know. Um, and, you know, we've been growing steadily through organic growth for, for many years, uh, and we're kind of looking for an opportunity to, to grow through inorganic growth and, and pick up uh, a competitor who we weren't directly competing with on a, on a daily basis, but that had a, a couple key customers in other markets that we weren't really even playing in, and it just made perfect sense. You know, and it's it's been a really great time, honestly, the past few months. Uh, it's been my primary task, one of them. Uh, to help merge the technical staffs, you know, all the PMs, the programmers, uh, you know, building that corporate culture, making sure we're all on the same page. Uh, And yeah, I mean, a lot of the reasons that that have already been named are are the reasons that we went for that. Uh, It just seemed to make a lot of sense. And uh, and so far, it's been great for all of us. Uh, I know, you know, ebbs and flows, as were mentioned as well, here in Nashville, uh, we had, you know, as I was kind of growing up, and my family worked in the AV industry, and I heard about, you know, CMS and then MCSI purchased, you know, which was a larger conglomerate that ended up in kind of an Enron type situation, uh, and then people ended up getting, you know, after they went went belly up, they got their stock options and got checks for eighty four cents or something, you know, after after working with them for years and years and years. Uh, so it's just interesting to kind of see the ebbs and flows. And after that, it broke apart, and we ended up with a, a number of smaller integration firms that were started by. You know, a lot of the guys that used to work together, and now some of them are forming back up over time. Uh, and it's, you know, it just makes sense, man. Uh, in terms of the, the markets that we can go after, I mean, it just increases our capacity and our, our knowledge base. And it, it, seems to, it seems to make a lot of sense. So, uh, yeah, I understand why it's happening. It's working well for us. And, uh, and you know, I, I think it's a pretty cool time to be a part of not just our industry, but these tangential industries that, uh, that
0: you know, seem to pair up pretty well with us. Yeah, absolutely. Go ahead, Brad.
1: Yeah,
3: if I could just, this is going to be a little inside baseball thing on the infographic. I mean, the reason, you know, we've spoken recently about a, a, a new, th- you know, three-year strategic plan that the, the board handed down. And one of the things that we're really trying to focus in is growing the market. And I want to distinguish that briefly from growing the industry, which is, people like ourselves and AV companies who, you know, that's what InfoCom has been doing for 75 years is growing a bunch of great AV professionals to do this work. Now we want to focus on growing the market. Basically what we're saying is we're growing we're going to try to grow the pie that everyone's trying to compete for and make the market for these solutions as big as possible. Then whatever happens in the industry if M&A leads to certain companies struggling or certain companies uh, the pie will still remain big and getting bigger. And then we fully expect to see smaller new companies with with fresh ideas and different to, to come in and continue to to feast at that pie. Um, so again, MA, that's I think that's a part of any healthy uh, industry. It's, it's great in some corners and, and it's challenged in other corners. But again, as as long as we, as an industry and as Infocom, grow the market for what what all these folks do, um, then I think that there will always be opportunities for even new companies, combined companies, you know, other innovative companies to come and do great work.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I'm, I'm there's a couple of folks that, that I've been talking with that are looking at not starting their own integration firm, but like like Phil did, getting into other other verticals that maybe they, they don't currently. Uh, service some. All right. Last last story here. Um, it's no sh- no secret that that we like going to infocom. We're you know, we get to hang out on the show floor and, and see all you folks and, and see these three fine gentlemen uh, every single year it's at least one time a year. Uh, we get to see them. So um, registration is open. Um, the actual show is the 14th through the 16th is when the show floor is open. Uh, but just like every other Infocom uh, education starts on the 10th, so four days before. Um, Brad, if somebody is interested in going, uh, how do they how do they do so? How do they register?
3: What show registrations open?
0: Show yeah, uh, registration uh, well, Oh, two weeks ago, dude. <laughs>
3: <laughs> We're obviously very excited. Does that so, and uh, all the hotels are gone.
0: <laughs> yes, actually, you can bunk with me in my Airbnb
3: that's right um no we're, we're excited it's going to be a great show we're doing a few different things you uh you alluded to the uh the park that's going to be actually on the show floor because uh you, you remember the uh the food trucks last year that were very popular yes yeah it's it's, it's Too trickier. popular it's trickier to do. Food you know what they had
0: a lobster roll that was to die for yeah i'm there just was some good gonna stuff. say
3: anyway this time we're we're simulating food trucks you can't actually drive the food trucks onto the show floor but then again we can't have the, sh- the food trucks where they used to be either so but there'll be that kind of thing but there's uh infocom show.org. yeah registration is open it's going to be a, a great week i'm sure that we'll see uh brock and phil there and tim and and, and everybody else
0: one, one thing i, I want to point out is, is is talking with um another media friend this week and uh, the other thing that you guys are doing one of the th- one of the things you're doing this year uh, is you're having I'm gonna say they're, they're Ted talk they're Ted like mm-hmm. talks uh, short 10 20 minute um, education sessions um, from folks in the industry and, and actually folks from out the uh, outside the industry that that's kind of cool and that's actually on the show floor as well so
3: yeah that's on a place we're call center stage in general if, if, if anything's gonna be... Different about the show, and there are always things that are different about the show. I mean, we are trying to go for some more content that is very solutions based very case study-based, but you know, very thought leadership-based. You know, sort of uh, you know, find creative solutions to our customers' problems. So there'll be a there's a conference called TIDE the the, the day right before. And got the guy who uh, you know wrote Toy, Toy Story or one of the Pixar Pixar writers, Matthew Line will be there. Um, the center stage, so. Hopefully, there'll be fresh content that people uh, will really engage in and get something out of. All right. I'll see you Speaking all. Speaking
1: of fresh content at Infocom, if you happen yes. to be available, Wednesday, yeah. Wednesday, June 14th, 8 to 10, check out my class. I'm teaching a class this year. How great is that? That's right. Solving the streaming problem inside and out. Very uh, nice. I don't know much about it, but it's IS020. Register now.
0: Yeah. See, there you go. Rock. Yeah. are you teaching a class or? You just to hang out with me teaching.
2: i am not teaching your class no,
0: i'm not either So they they kicked me out i think they banned me from teaching after last year but
1: i yeah. Uh, we're gonna keep you busy I, in different ways yeah. I, do I you guys have... want to rap about av this year
0: <laughs> we will we will definitely one of the things that that we 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 partner with phil every, uh last, what last three or four years yeah. phil does uh, a very nice song for for us av nation and we do the av selfie video uh, Phil is the, the soundtrack to that very video. So, yeah, um, we'll be talking to him uh, after uh, next couple months or so. So, yeah. All yeah. right. I'll actually I'll have another uh, original tune about Rax coming out uh, in a Very nice.
1: Out in, in preparation to get people warmed up, excited about Infocom. Pretty,
0: pretty uh,
2: cool. Rax's and O's.
1: Rax, yeah, that's it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Okay. All right. all right. On that note, <laughs> we're going to let you all go. Uh, Brad, we'll give you the, the first one here. How do people get a hold of you?
3: Uh, well, you can always find uh, Infocom at Infocom.org and InfocomShow.org. Follow us on Twitter at Infocom. I tweet periodically at uh, B. Grimes, D.C., which is where I sort of live.
0: You live on Twitter or you live on B. Grimes, DC. D.C.? Okay, there you go. All right, Mr. McGinnis, thank you, sir.
3: You're welcome. Uh,
2: always a pleasure, team. To...
0: Yes, sir. How do people find you and or Westbury National?
2: Uh, we are at Westbury.com and I love interacting with AV tweeps. Uh, I am at Brock McGinnis, uh, and, uh, you'll find me there often.
0: Yes. Pro- I'm a much more prolific Twitterer than I, than I probably ever will be. So, uh, and last but not least, Mr. Phil Gordell. Thank you, sir.
1: Of course, man. Thanks for having me. You can find me on Twitter at the underscore AV underscore pro. You can find my fun AV videos on youtube.com, uh, front slash high fidelity, H-I-P-H-I-D-E-L-I-T-Y. So check them out, a lot of fun. And uh, looking forward to seeing all you guys at Infocom this year for sure, IRL.
0: IRL. If Mm -hmm. if you're not a hip kid, that means in real life. So, all right. Uh, My name is Tim Albright. Don't follow me uh, on the Twitters. Like I said, Brock tweets more than I ever will. (laughs) Uh, but go by the website, uh, aviation. tv. You'll find this program and a host of others. Uh, aviation has a different um, uh, model for, for uh, advertising. We call it underwriting, so check out our underwriters. They're the folks that help make this possible. Actually, Infocom is, is one of those fine folks, so we thank them. Uh, also, stay tuned. We uh, I, I spent the, a couple of days this week with an organization called PS&I and did a couple of really cool sessions, and we're turning them into podcasts, um, One specifically that I want you guys to pay attention to was about network security. Uh, And with uh, one of the women women that was on there was a woman by the name of Teresa Payton. Uh, Teresa was the first uh, chief security officer, chief network security officer for the White House. Lots of interesting things. uh, A little bit scary, but very good information nonetheless. So that all will be at the website, avianation.tv avnation.tv. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you so much for watching. That's all the time we have for AV Week.